from Local 12 Sports. It's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. Each every week we talk about sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We're inching closer to our normal gambling segment with college football and the NFL soon to start. And the pod, part of the podcast where you can ask me a question on anything, just hit the Twitterverse, hit up Ask Skinny Anything, the hashtag. Rick compiles them, you ask them, I answer them. As always, this podcast is brought to you in part by Blake, the attorney, Maislin. Rick, how's fatherhood a couple of weeks in? Yeah, well, I, I was a little too confident last week. A few people let me know. They're like, just wait, it's coming. And, and sure enough, week two is a little bit more difficult. So if my brain seems more mushy than usual, uh, forgive me. Uh, understood. Understood. <laughs> All right, we've actually, believe it or not, got plenty of topics to get to here this week. The college sports as we know them are blowing up. The Bengals are getting ready to play their first training camp or, or preseason game, I should say. And uh, the Reds are falling farther and farther out of first place. We'll start with them. The Reds have lost eight of their last nine games. They're now 60 and 57 and two and a half games out of first place behind the Brewers, which is actually the same position the Cubs find themselves in. Skinny, if you were to make a blame pie chart, which thing or which person or which concept would you say is most responsible for the Reds' recent skid? I don't know if there is one thing. I'm not sure I'm going to put the blame. I'm going to maybe look and say this is kind of the regression to the mean, perhaps. Um, I still think it's a playoff caliber team. I think it's got another hot streak in it at some point. Um, but I, I, I do. I think it's just kind of the regression to the mean. You're playing a lot of kids, man. Um, you're, you're dipping into the lion Richardson's of the world to be in your pitching staff. And, uh, you know, at some point that starts to even itself out. The unfortunate part of this skid is they've blown two great starts from Graham Ashcraft. I mean, great starts, um, that both should have been wins and actually deep into the ball game were wins. Um, and, and that's the disappointing turn those two games around Rick and you're half game out of first place. Right. I mean, so that as much as everybody's wringing their hands at the moment, you're still right there on the doorstep, still right there on the cusp. I do think David Bell needs to get Ellie Daly Cruz out of the leadoff spot. It's not working. He's got a 281 on base percentage hitting leadoff. Um, his OPS is under 700 hitting leadoff. I don't know if he necessarily needs to go back to the cleanup spot. In fact, probably needs to go back down a little bit deeper in the order of the way he's swinging it. But that, I like the experiment. It, it just didn't work itself out. And some of this, I think, maybe is on David Bell, too. You know, the buttons he, he he's pushing right now aren't working. Um, and that's maybe not fair, but I do think we gave him some credit for pushing the right buttons when they were winning. And I think he's pushing some wrong buttons now that they're losing. And one other thing too, is I think they miss Jake Fraley more than I would have ever told you. They miss Jake Fraley. I think they miss his bat in the middle of the lineup. Yeah. And that's the, you know, when you, when you start looking at who to blame or where to place the blame, I've seen people say, oh, you know, well, everyone wants to point to the pitching, but really when you look at the numbers and the difference between, the all-star break, let's say, and since the all-star break, when they've struggled, the numbers look okay for the pitching, look about the same and, and hitting, they seem to take more of a dip, which is fine. But to your point, I think that you can miss the the forest through the trees a little bit there because like you just laid out, they, they've had a few games where the pitching has just given it away at the end. And they've also had a few games where the pitching has given them no chance from the start because Lyon Richardson gives up four runs in the top of the first, or they give up 25 runs in back-to-back games against the Cubs. So like when you're talking about being one and a half or one and a half games out or tied for first place or two and a half games out of first place, and you're letting these games get away from you where the pitching gives you no chance to win. I mean, that's costly too. So I, I agree with you. I don't think it's like the pitching's fault, the, the hitting's fault. I don't think it's one guy. I don't really think it's David Bell's fault to be honest. Although, to our point last week, might have been a little early to be giving him a contract extension. I don't know how much he had really proved to this point in the year. Um, but but yeah, I, to me, this is all about a regression to the mean. This is why I've, I've said all season, this team is not built to win a World Series. You shouldn't start trading away the farm to try to get one more pitcher to go make a run. It's just not that type of team. It's great what they've done, and I hope they manage to scrap their way back into this thing and continue to fight and claw to make the playoffs. But it, it, you're ahead of schedule. That's all this is. And it's it's been a really fun ride. Let's just hope they can kind of right the ship. I mean, you've got a, a guy like Andrew Abbott who is already over the most innings he's ever pitched in a season. There were natural things that were going to happen this year that was going to make it tough to sustain this level of success. 
Yeah, and and obviously some of the reasons why, you know, maybe the Reds were reticent to bring up Ellie um, have shown themselves a little bit, although he still does some ridiculous things on a, on a daily basis, whether it be in the field or, or on the bases when he's on the bases. But yeah, again, I go back to, you know, the, the, the putting him in the leadoff spot was the right idea at the time. Um, it has clearly not worked. And at this point, I think you got to change it around again. And I'll be honest, you know, I, I, I mentioned the missing of Jake Fraley. You know, you know, who else has been out during this whole little skid has been Jonathan India. Uh, you know, I, I know people want to push him to the wayside, but I, I think he gives this team a lot in, in a lot of different ways. I agree. And again, this is not a, I, mean, I don't want to go too far down the Jonathan India hole because I, I understand the reason people think he'd make sense to trade. And I think that too, I think there's a good possibility over the next year or two, they will trade Jonathan India at some point, but this year it didn't make sense to do that just yet. And I think you're seeing that right now. Some of these young guys may not be everything that we thought they were after watching them tear the world apart for two weeks. It may take some time and, and Jonathan India, maybe his leadership and, and consistency there was important, even though his numbers weren't great and his defense it lacks a lot to be desired. So, um, yeah, I think I think all of this these struggles recently have, have brought to light a lot of the things that we've been talking about th- throughout the year. I just I'm uh, I'm interested to see how the next few weeks go, Skinny, because this thing it, it feels like it's it's kind of teetering right now. Over the next maybe two to three weeks, is going to decide: is this team going to stay in and and battle it out for that National League Central title, or are they going to fade fast down the stretch here? Yeah, the, the Wednesday setback was a really tough one because it's funny. We were, uh, you know, the Bengals-Packers joint practice, those of us covering the team, and we were kind of following along on our phones, the, the Reds game, and, and kind of keeping each other updated with it. And at one point, uh, you know, uh, the Reds were up 4-1, to one and the Brewers are down 4 to nothing. and for all the world, it looks like, hey, going to be only a half game out of first place by the time today's over with. And you look up, and it's back to two and a half games because the Brewers came back and won, and the Reds blew a game, and that's – uh, that, that that just felt like a gut punch, but there's still a lot of baseball left and you're still only two and a half back. Um, well, let's see how these guys respond. They've responded at points this year. I keep feeling like this team is, is going to respond one more time. It's going to have one more good hot streak in it. Will that be enough to carry it to the playoffs? Yeah. Do you buy into that? This team is streaky and it goes on runs. I keep seeing people say that well, that's what they've done all season. They, they get hot and then they get cold. Are, are you buying into that right now or no? Um, well, no, I'm not. Um, I, I, listen, they, they went through that great winning streak, right. And then had a little bit of a lull where they lost three in a row and then came back and won fire. It felt like every time they'd lose like three in a row, they'd come back with one. Well, this time around that hasn't quite been the response to it. So that's why I go back to, I hate to do it. It's, it's kind of just a regression to the mean of probably what this talent level of this team is at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I kind of agree with you though. I do feel like it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this team had another run left in them and, and, you know, Ellie and McLean, a couple of these guys got hot again. And when it does seem like when their bats, those young guys bats are going a little bit because of the speed and the, the running around the bases and kind of the style they're playing it, it does seem to feed off each other, each other a little bit and, and get the ball rolling. So I could see this team making another stretch run where they win five or six games in a row to kind of get them back on track in the next month. But I'm not expecting it, but I could see it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me, I guess is what I'd say. Yeah. And get, and getting Indian fairly back, I think would be a huge part of that. Yeah. Uh, something I saw while I was reading different red stuff over the week, blog red machine brought up the idea of Jose Barrero rejoining the reds. When September, when the September call-ups happen, you get to expand the roster by two players. Only one of them can be a pitcher. Um, over the last 28 days, Barrero is slashing 314, 412, and 629 with 11 extra base hits, including five home runs. Two of those home runs were in the last week. Skinny, I, I'll be honest, I was done with Jose Barrero. I just didn't think he was a major league hitter the last time he left the club. Uh, are you interested in, in giving him another shot at, at the big leagues? Do you think he could be uh, an extra piece that they're missing right now? Yeah, I, I, I am, A, because you're, you're right-handed platoon bat in the outfield currently is Stuart Fairchild. And I just, I'm sorry, I don't buy that dude. I, I, I get, if Jose Pereira can give me more than, than Stuart Fairchild, and I'm not guaranteed that he is, but if he's on the right path towards doing that, I'm absolutely worth giving him another shot. And he, he gets the right-handed bats in center field on a day you want to give TJ Friedel a day off against the lefty. I'd rather have that than, than Stuart Fairchild in, in there, to be quite honest with you. 
Well, and the thing is, I don't think he's any less dangerous than Stuart Fairchild as an extra right. bat off the bench. And he's more valuable in other ways in the sense that he's more athletic. He's a good defender. He's a better base runner if you have to put him in a pinch running situation at the end of the game. The, the thing about Jose Barrero is he definitely has value as a guy off the bench because he can play the outfield. He can play shortstop or second base defensively. He's very good. Right. And he has that speed. So like as a situational guy that you bring in in a seventh or eighth inning, he does have some value and and I don't sure. I don't really buy into the idea that he's turned it around. He's going to start mashing at the major league level now and become a big hitter. But it's nice to see that he is hitting better. Maybe, maybe that'll help a little bit. And and again, as a bench piece, I think it makes sense to bring up. So I, I have no issue with them bringing up Jose Barrera, mm-hmm. but I'm also not thinking, oh, yeah, he's the missing piece that's going to get them going again. No, I'm with you on that. But again, is it <laughs> is it a better option than Stuart Fairchild? I'm not telling you it is, but it certainly might be. Yeah, I have no trouble with finding out because Stuart Fairchild certainly isn't impressing me. All right, anything else on the red skinny or uh, we could jump to Bengals here? Let's jump to Bengals. All right. Well, the Bengals agreed to a four-year contract extension with linebacker Logan Wilson on Friday. The deal is worth up to $37.25 million. It averages $11.2 million over the first two years. Skinny, what did you think of Logan Wilson getting this contract extension? I think it shows that, that listen, while I know everybody's wringing their hands over Burrow and T. Higgins, it, it, it shows, and we'll get to the other one in a second, the Trey Hendricks one show, that this team is still trying to keep its core together as much as it possibly can on reasonable contracts. It's a reasonable contract for Logan Wilson. Um, and it's interesting, Rick, because they're like a lot of teams in, 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 in football. I mean, they value defensive end edge rushers and corners on defense and wide receivers and quarterbacks and left tackles on offense. And linebacker is not really a premium position. Um, they obviously don't believe safety is a premium position, and it's not. And that's why they let their two starting safeties walk in free agency. But I think it shows what they paid Pratt and Wilson is, is pretty good market value for two guys that just give them consistent performance. I think there's something to be said for that. And the fact that the Bengals were willing to pay for that. Not overpay for it, but pay for it. And uh, I think it's good that you got your two linebackers together, um, at least for the next three years. Um, and, you know, who knows where Jermaine Pratt's at when his deal his deal's done, because don't forget they re-upped him back in March. I think they're, they're paying for their consistency. Yeah, and that's an interesting point about kind of the, the fair market value or like – I guess when we see contract extensions reported and you see these dollar amounts and they're always, you know, tens of millions of dollars. So it seems like a ton of money. I think the natural fan reaction is kind of like, oh, this guy got paid a ton of money. And in this case, in both cases with Jermaine Pratt and Logan Wilson, I think it's fair to look at it and say, oh, the Bengals are taking care of them. But both of them got fairly reasonable deals for what they are, starters that have proven themselves in the NFL, right? It's not like the Bengals have broken the bank to go prioritize these right. guys it's no we we value you we want you back but we need you kind of at this number it seems like right yeah exactly that's exactly it i mean you're not paying you know crazy dollars for that position i don't think they'd ever pay crazy dollars for that position because they don't value it as a um as a premium position um much like again the safety spot would it be nice to have jesse bates and von bell back here absolutely um, but Von Bell got guaranteed money in the second year of his contract that the Bengals were never going to pay him. And Jesse broke the bank that they were never going to pay and clearly were never going to pay. So, uh, yeah, I think that it was fair market value for them and more than fair market value for the Bengals. And, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not surprised this deal was done, um, but it is interesting that the deal was done before um, the Borough deal was done. And um, yep. It's good to see them still working in that direction of getting guys done that they want to still have around here. Well, we talked last week about Trey Hendrickson getting that that deal done. And then this week it's Logan Wilson. Does that I mean, what about what does that say to you that they got these two deals done before the Burrow deal was done? Does that mean anything? No, it it doesn't. It just tells me again that I think the whole structure of the Burrow deal is very complicated, Um, more complicated than I thought it was going to be. I, I do wonder if the Higgins deal is tied to Burrow and that's where the complication comes in. I'm also leaning towards maybe they don't re-sign T. Higgins when all is said and done, that they, they go the same route they went with Jesse Bates of, um, you know, uh, you keep trying to work towards a deal, but if that side isn't willing to go to your dollar side or, or whatever, you franchise tag him next year um, and, and let the chips fall where they may. I know that stinks. At the end of the day, you know, Jesse Bates admitted the, the last year of his contract before being franchise tagged for half a season. 
he moped about it and then turned it around, had a great second half, had a great postseason uh, in through the Super Bowl. Then franchise tag, he didn't like it. He sat out, which is his prerogative, up until the point where he realized he couldn't sit out any longer, signed the tag, played, and got paid. And that may be the route, unfortunately, that we're going to go with T. Higgins. He has the same agent that Jesse Bates has, so it's not going to be an easy negotiation. And that's where I do wonder, are those tied a little bit together um, to where Burrow is saying, I'll give this if we can get him, or maybe it's simply – you know, they just can't come to any kind of close deal with, with T. Higgins, and they're going to eventually have to move on from that and, and just focus on getting Burrow done. What a difference it makes to be a team that's capable of competing for a Super Bowl year after year. Because it, it normally had we been talking about these contract situations, like the Jesse Bates thing or the T. Higgins thing, where the Bengals are going to play chicken with one of their top players and, and be like, yeah, we're not going to extend you ahead of time. You're going to have to wait. We're going to franchise tag you and all that. Well, eventually that player is just going to say, screw you. Not, this, not, this team isn't worth that. I'm just not playing. I am sitting out. But when you have a chance to compete for the Super Bowl and everyone looks at you like, it's a chance to play with Joe Burrow. That's a place I'd like to be. Well, then you look kind of like an idiot and a bad egg if you're sitting out. So it's like these guys are like, well, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to miss the chance on potentially playing in the playoffs and making a run to the Super Bowl. And so it, it gives you a lot more flexibility when you're negotiating with these types of deals, I think. Yeah, I, I will say it's going to be interesting next week because T's not going to play in the preseason game. Most of the starters won't. I think Nick Scott and and, and Dax Hill probably will be the only starters that play um, on Friday in the, in the preseason opener. But it was interesting to me that he sat out the team portion of the practice with the Packers uh, on Wednesday. Um, you know, I, I don't want to read anything into it right now because he's been such a – He's been a, one of the stars of camp, and he's done everything right. And he's, um, he's 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 shown up. He's played hard. There was one day that he sat out where, again, I kind of question it. But some of these vet, some of these guys do get vet days every once in a while. But I, it just was odd yesterday that that was supposed to be kind of the dress rehearsal for the ones. This was kind of their preseason game, if you will, in a much more controlled environment. There was no tackling or anything, but it was against another team going full speed and you know, potential injuries could have occurred. I do wonder if that was his agent saying, don't do it, man. And and uh, I, I wonder where that's going to go. And again, maybe I, I'm, I'm speaking this out of turn and, and maybe I'm reading too much into that, but it just was odd to me. Yeah, interesting. We'll, we'll keep following that as we go along with not only this year, but into next offseason at camp. That's going to be a constant storyline if he doesn't get extended. But um, I, yep. I don't know what the right answer is there. Because it's just it's hard to know exactly where they'll fall money wise, especially without the borough deal being done. Yeah, and I don't know if there is one, Rick. And I think it's just the harsh reality of, of the business of the NFL. It's just, you know, you have your number, they have their number, they think he's worth wide receiver one money. You probably don't, especially when you're gonna have to extend your wide receiver one in another year and you're going to extend him big money. Um uh, you know, I know this is gonna come off as People thinking the Bengals are cheap. They're not. I, I think, again, there's just there's what they feel the market value is. And if you're out of the market value and you think you can go get it somewhere else, go get it. But if you're the Bengals also, like they did with Jesse Bates, we still have the option to franchise tag you, my man, and we're going to do it. And I just wonder if that's the route we're going. It may be way too early for that. Hell, maybe his agent told him, sit out that practice because I'm damn close to getting a deal done and let's not mess that up, right? I mean, that's always possible. Yeah. Well, I mean, go back and look at, all the roster turnover and the amount of times we'd talk about Tom Brady not having any receivers to throw to for the Patriots. Go look at even Kansas City over the last couple of years, how they've started to lose some of those star players off of that group that they put together. You can't pay everybody at a certain point. If you have this type of success, right. it gets tough. And I think everyone understands that, but that's where we're getting to with this uh, T. Higgins. And obviously Joe Burrow will get his money, but a couple of these other guys you have to start splitting hairs and figuring out who's not going to make the cut. You mentioned the Bengals right. Packers preseason game on Friday night. That's the opener. Um, if you're a fan who's going to be tuning into this thing, you met, you said not a lot of starters will probably be playing. What is going to be worth watching here? Yeah, I, I've got a, a column up on local12.com, actually kind of five storylines and, and things to watch. I think, and I'll just go in descending order of what, how I rank them. One is the 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 offensive linemen who will play. They'll be the backups, and they did not have a very good day against the Packers on Wednesday. Um, and it's interesting to see how they mix and match that group. Uh, Deontay Smith played all over the line. Akeem Adeniji played all over the line. Max Sharping has taken some reps 
at center in camp. They got a, an undrafted rookie free agent guard, Jackson Kirkland, who played with the twos uh, and has played with the twos throughout camp. So I'll be interested to see how those guys perform because um, as Brian Callahan, we talked to him after the, the practice yesterday said, you know, we're trying to mix and match a bunch of different guys at some of these positions to see what we've got at the back end of, the, of that, of that group. And so it's an important game for that group of guys to show something. Um, you know, Jackson Carmen didn't have a great Wednesday practice and he's certainly trying to become the swing tackle. Um, so I, I think it's important for those guys. Um, you know, number four, do these corners continue to flash the, the back, you know, the, the, the backup corners, because they've shown that this might be a really deep corner group, which is a good thing to have because you need as many corners as possible. Will they carry that from camp into games? Um, number three was how do the rookies perform? Um, you know, I, I think the one I'm most interested, I'm sure everybody's more interested in Miles Murphy than most but I'm really interested in Chase Brown to see, you know, what does he do when somebody's trying to tackle him? We've seen him have good burst. And Frank Pollock, who's the run game coordinator, was effusive in his praise of him when we talked to him on, on Sunday. And um, Brian Callahan yesterday talked about how he's been a willing blitz or a, a willing pass protector and um, shown some ability in that regard. Let's see what he does when it's real. Let's see when um, does he show that burst through the line and, and, and run through contact or does he get knocked down and, and, and not break tackles does not not does not show that burst. So I'm really interested to see him as much as anybody else. Number two on my list was was certainly the uh, the, the backup quarterback battle. Um, you know, that's the that's the one for me of neither one of those guys were very good on Wednesday. Um, both of them had the same amount of reps, basically, with the first team. They kept rotating through kind of interested to see you know, who, who gets the nod first on, on Friday. I don't think it means anything, um, but these guys are going to be playing with backups and not the ones either. And, um, you know, they were not very good with the ones and they were even less good with the, with the backups. And uh, it's big to see one of those guys emerge, be it Trevor Simeon or, or Jake Browning. And then number one is, like I mentioned, you know, which of the starters will play. I, I know, I know Zach Taylor said a couple of them probably will. And my guess would be, again, it's the safety tandem of Dax Hill and, and Nick Scott just to get them as many reps together as, as, as possible. But other than that, I, I and the specialists, obviously, you know, Brad Robbins and those guys, uh, McPherson, um, technically are starters. But, you know, other than that, um, you know, wh- who's going to play? And I think it's just the safety tandem is what we're going to see. And that's probably it. You nailed it for me. Chase Brown is the whole reason I want to watch this game, just because a, a running back in his situation, well, he's got a chance to be a feature player in a game like this. He's got a chance to get a lot of carries and kind of be the main part of the offense. I mean, I, I want to see DJ Turner. I want to see miles Murphy, but how much am I really going to get to see right. them do, you know? Yeah. And, it's, uh, and especially with Travion Williams being out. I mean, it's really, you know, it's a couple of undrafted guys and then Chris Evans and, and, and Chase Brown. So I think Chase Brown will get a, a nice workload in this game. Yeah, I'm really excited about watching him. That's pretty much the whole reason I'm I'm looking forward to this game. Skinny, are there any other notes from training camp over the last week or anything to get to as we head into this uh this first preseason game? Yeah, I I, I watched the offense versus the defense, but uh I traded notes with Jay Morrison of the Athletic. He watched the Bengals defense versus the offense, so we could both kind of write about that part of it because uh one field had the Bengals O versus the Packers D the other field had Packers D versus uh, Packers O versus Bengals D and Jay's notes to me on the way the defense performed was off the charts. I mean, the defensive line across the board, including miles Murphy were all great. Mike Hilton had an interception. Um, DJ Turner did get beat on a, on a ball on a double move. Um, and maybe that's a good learning experience for him to kind of finally see that against another team. But Jay even said on that play, his catch-up speed was was glaring to where he almost caught up and made a hell of a play on it. So, um, again, maybe a good lesson for him to learn. But but from all reports, the defense was off the charts. And I still think that still continue, continues to be an underrated part of this team. We all talk about Burrow and the offensive weapons and those. I mean, this defense has kind of carried the load to the last couple of seasons and keep, seems to be getting better and better and better as they keep adding more parts to it. Well, especially when you think about all the takeaways in the playoffs. I mean, the amount of turnovers yeah, they've right, caused in right. the postseason the last two years, they have been what's carried this team in a lot of ways. I just thought this year with all the turnover, it was going to be tough to expect that same type of performance out of them. But the early report from training camp definitely have me excited about that side of the ball. Lou Rumo has done a fantastic job the last several years, and I'm, I'm excited to see what he has in store for this year. Yeah, and especially, I mean, it's a group that uh, we, we've talked about the corners and and Shinobi Ujie is slowly working his way back. He has not taken part in a practice yet, although he's he's uh, taking part of position drills. He shadowed receivers the other day, um, just kind of trying to do defensive back stuff. So I think he's 
probably closer to being ready than than um, well, he's close to being ready, not closer, but close to being ready. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt unless he has a setback that he won't be able to play in the opener. So that that's a good sign, too, because like I said that cornerback depth is flash and your best corner, by the way, is sitting out. And I say that. And Cam Taylor Britt's had a great camp, and we you know we forget about he's only got you know what a half a season's worth of start starts under his belt. How much better can he get? I, I, he's had a great camp too. So uh, yeah, that defense uh, that, that was good to see. And I know it wasn't against the Aaron Rodgers Packers; it was against the Jordan Love Packers, but still, it was against another team, and you dominated them. Speaking of that, what was the uh, takeaway thoughts? I know you didn't watch him, but what was the takeaway thoughts on Jordan Love? Um, you know, I, it, I, I was looking through the notes. It seemed like there was a bunch of check downs when he did. I did watch him. I got a chance to watch him. They, they came together for a two minute drill. Each, each side had, I think two rep or two sessions, a piece of two minute drill. Um, quite frankly, he did not look very good in the two, two minute drill. So, um, uh, missed on a deep ball where I, I think it was, a uh, Romeo Dobbs got behind a, a corner and he overthrew him just a hair where he had to lay out and, and, and couldn't catch it. But, um, it, it didn't look great, but again, I didn't get a chance to watch a whole lot of it. So. All right, now to the silliness of the NFL world. The, the NFL Network has been revealing the top 100 players of 2023 as voted on by the players themselves for a few weeks. Uh, the top 10 was released on Monday, and Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow did not make the top five, Skinny. He came in at number six. The, the people in front of him were Patrick Mahomes, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Hurts, Nick Bosa, and Travis Kelsey, do you have uh, – I mean, who, who cares what the players think, honestly? But do you have any issue do – do, do you have any thoughts on Joe Burrow not being a top five player in the NFL? Yeah, I, I know Bengals fans lose their mind. and It feels like everybody's picking on their guys, right? I get it. But, uh, no, I mean, Jalen Hurts being above Joe Burrow is a joke. I, I mean, the, I was, the kid did a nice job last year. But yeah, do you think, Justin do you Jefferson think if being, he flip-flopped – do you think he flip-flopped the last two – postseasons like meaning the Bengals made their run to the Super Bowl this past year and the Eagles did it a year ago do you think those two would be flip-flopped in these rankings probably yeah probably I mean it's like a recency um, bias listen Jalen Hurts Jalen Hurts is a perfect fit for that scheme and what they do offensively and he proved that last year um so you know kudos to him but the funny part is if you're ranking quarterbacks just ranking them themselves he isn't even in the top three and yet he's third on the top one of all players I mean, yeah, I, yeah that's I the whole thing. Listen, Jamar, Chase, Jamar Chase was 39th on this list. Is Jamar, is Justin Jefferson at two, that big of a gap difference between him and Jamar Chase? Really? No. Now the gap between like the top five players in the NFL and the top 40 players in the NFL probably isn't nearly as big as we make it out to be when we talk about lists. Like, right. you know, that's, that's you're probably right. splitting yeah. hairs on like yeah. all those top 40 to 50 guys, maybe even more than that. But yeah, I mean, the idea that he would be that low, but again, the Burrow thing, like who cares that you're sixth and not fourth or fifth or third or whatever. But again, it's like, like you said, the Jalen hurts thing. He's a, he's a great player and he's moving up in that ranking of, okay, maybe he's one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, but like, I'm not even sold on the fact that he's a top five quarterback in the NFL right now. Yeah. And and I think to your point of the recency bias from from what I I know, obviously player, this was a player's vote. Um, And I think they got the vote for 20 players each. A, how many of these guys really took it seriously? And B, those yeah. that, that were doing the voting were looking and thinking, all right, this guy, I know him. Oh, yeah, the quarterback of the Eagles. They were just in the Super Bowl. Hurts. And, and that's how that stuff happens, right? And so suddenly you're just doing names off the top of your head as a as a player, and somehow you put Hurts down, and you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot Burrow's – yeah, I put Burrow here. It, did they take it that, that seriously? Yeah, well, n- definitely not. And also it's like, you know, Jalen Hurts has a little bit of the young, cool factor – and I mean, let's, I'm sure a lot of these guys would like to see black quarterbacks have more success because there's been such a, a longstanding thing of black quarterbacks getting criticized unfairly at the position and, and the whole thing of like, oh, he's not a true quarterback because he runs. And now the whole game has evolved to where you want all quarterbacks to kind of run and do a little bit of everything and be able to do some of that option stuff. So it's like that's it's been a weird thing with the racial thing at the quarterback position. So I, I do think there's probably a little bit of that aspect where the players are looking at that like, you know, let's pump up our guy Jalen Hurts and uh, well, a black quarterback. And, and I think recency some bias. I mean, and recency bias. Yeah, yeah. and the recency bias of, of if you're doing this off the top of your head, you're thinking Super Bowl teams, right? Mahomes, yeah. Kelsey, Jalen Hurts. I mean, that's that's what you're thinking, and I I get that. That's why. But I, again, I, I don't think the players take it all that seriously, and so it's hard for me to take a list like that all that seriously. Yeah, I would agree with that. 
All right, let's uh, switch gears one more time here to college athletics. Just the whole state of college athletics. It is getting crazy here, Skinny. Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah have all decided to join the Big 12 in 2024. Meanwhile, we've got Oregon, Washington, both heading to the Big 10, leaving the Pac-12 with just four remaining teams once we get to 2024. I don't know exactly where to start. Uh, I mean, a lot of people are talking about the pending doom and gloom and the end of college athletics and all of this other stuff. Do you find this to be as big of a deal as the rest of the college athletics world does right now? I mean, I know it's big news, but do you think this is like a seismic shift in ruining the sport? I do, because, I mean, all these super mega leagues, somebody's going 2-10 and 10 in football. Somebody's going 9-20 and 20 in basketball. You don't think it's your school, but it might be. I mean, as as much as I, I'm, if I'm a UC fan, I'm super excited about the Big 12 over the American. Now that you're yet adding even more, I don't want to say top tier programs, but certainly quality programs in, in some of them in both sports. Am I really all that excited? That might be my team now going two and 10 and nine and 20. I hope not. I hope not for their sake, but somebody in these super leagues is going to do that. And I, I just, honestly, I don't think this is good for college sports in any way, shape, or form other than the TV dollars and the schools raking in those TV dollars. Literally, that's what they're selling out for is that. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, the end of some natural rivalries that that are great, have been great, have helped make college sports what it is so special. Those are going by the wayside. I don't think this is good in any way, shape, or form. I just don't. I think your first point is the big one that's getting missed in a lot of this. I think the individual schools themselves, and of course, like you said, none of them expect to be the one left out in the cold that can never win a game ever again. All of them think they're going to have go have huge success in this next new mega conference, even though they've been a basement dweller, middle of a pack in their previous conference that wasn't as tough. But all of them are going to, with this new money, they're going to be great now. I, I, I do think they, they need to start thinking about the long-term sustainability of how long are our fans going to continue to care if we continue to sell out and chase dollars at all costs, meaning, you know, we don't care any longer about the previous rivals we had, which I don't think that's as big of a deal as other fans seem to think. I think they get over the rivalry thing. They form new rivalries. You can still play non-conference games potentially against those old rivals and things like that. So I think that is easily solved and people would get over that aspect of it. But the point you brought up that first one about there's going to be a lot of teams that just never win again or have, 15 years straight where you don't hear from them. What's going to happen to those fan bases when they realize that, you know, we never really had a chance to win in our old conference, but it was a lot more fun to go six and five and have the illusion or seven and four and have the illusion of potentially being in the the playoff or, or making a run or, or competing for our conference. Now, when we're under 500 every single year and there's not even the illusion of us competing anymore, how much longer are the fans going to continue to care and buy tickets and subscribe to all these streaming platforms and everything else? I just I do think there is some long term sustainability issues that they're not worried enough about. I know they're factoring in those things. They're smarter than me. They know way more about it. But I don't think they're thinking about that enough. I'm going to use my alma mater, Kentucky, in football. It's been a fun run here of late. Um, it's been frustrating because it feels like they've been this close to getting over the hump. But it's been a fun run here of late. Um, you know, you now are, are in a division in the, in the SEC. Now, Tennessee's gotten better, but you've gotten on par with Tennessee. You've gotten on par with Florida. Georgia certainly has been the, the top one that you can't get over the hump of. But but you've now proven to, to be a, a player in the SEC East um, each and every year. Now you're going to keep adding more teams to it. And it's going to – I mean, honestly, Oklahoma and Texas, from a football perspective, have far more tradition than Kentucky could ever think about having. So there's two teams that are going to knock my my program down a couple of rungs. And I know you can argue, well, maybe you can keep up, maybe, but I sure don't know about that. And and I, I and I'm and I'm thinking about the you know the the, the Big Twelve and the in the in the in the Big Ten. I mean, Northwestern is down a ton all of a sudden because of the Pat Fitzgerald situation and whatnot. And now that you're adding all these other programs, are they ever going to get out from the cellar? How about Rutgers? How's that going to work for them? Um, I. I just don't know to, to that point if it's going to be good. It, it, it's good in the short term because the dollars all look great and it's all well and good. You're chasing the TV money, but you're right. When push comes to shove, if your fan base starts giving up on you and they stop buying tickets and buying your merchandise and donating their dollars to your school, well, then where are we going to be then? Yeah, and that's the real issue that I think 
doesn't get talked about enough and that you need to be more concerned about because everyone goes to like the travel and the rivalries and this stuff. But like, let's face it, we're not paying the fans aren't paying the money for the travel. That doesn't really bother us. We act like it does, but we're not having to deal with that travel. We're not having to pay the money for it. We'll let those athletes run themselves ragged across the country, making all these flights to play each other. That will not really affect fans paying money for the product, but this will, if their teams just don't compete. And also the other thing that's probably a bigger issue for college athletics than realignment right now is the NIL thing. I mean, just no guardrails being in place for that and no real vision for how that's going to continue to evolve. That is creating serious problems in the sport right now, and it's making it less fun for fans, I think. The the combination of those two things, the realignment with the potential for your team to just really struggle and never seriously compete again, and the NIL stuff with, with guys just changing teams every year and looking like they're doing it to the highest bidder. Maybe that's always been the case. Maybe that's always been the reason they've been changing teams or or going to their first team in, in the uh, when they were getting recruited in the first place. But it's be, it's become obvious and it looks that way to fans now and they do not like that. So yeah. I think those are the two. I'm, I'm one when you talk about conference realignment, my eyes start to glaze over. I just don't care. It's like, wake me up when it's over. Tell me who's in what conference and we'll go play games because I, I just like the games. I, I enjoy it. I won't stop watching because they're in a new conference. But I do think there are some real concerns long term. Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. I mean, you know, it, it's it's great that Xavier doesn't have football. I mean, because the Big East is a sustainable basketball conference um, that that you're a, a quality member of, and and I, you know, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I guess it could, and it may, but it it, it almost again. If I'm in some of these other, I mean, right now as a UC fan, do you feel really good about the Big Twelve? Do you? Well, I was wondering about that because UC is probably. I shouldn't say that the local team impacted the most because you just laid out a pretty good case for Kentucky being pretty impacted by the teams coming into to their new conference. But if you're UC, this is all new to you, right? You were just begging to get out of the AAC. It's so great. You're in the Big 12. You're back to the big time. Before you even get there, Oklahoma and Texas are already leaving. Like they're already saying, no, we're out the door. So that's kind of got to be a little bit like, well, when I think of Big 12, the first two schools I think of are Texas and Oklahoma. So that's kind of a little bit of like, well, we're not exactly joining the big 12, but it's still awesome. It's a high major conference. It's going to be the best basketball conference in the country again. So that's exciting. And then now all of a sudden you have Colorado, Arizona, Arizona state and Utah joining the conference. It's like, how should you feel if you're a UC fan? How much does that change things? I think from a football perspective, it's you, it was already going to be really tough and it's just getting even, it's getting even tougher from a basketball perspective, Arizona and Arizona State are both real players. So, I mean, that that just makes that that conference even better. I think that probably excites UC fans that and, the conference is going to be so good. But. And Utah has been in the past. Yeah, they've got tradition. Um, and, and they have a fan base. So they they could be a little bit of a sleeping giant, although I don't know with the recruiting and NIL stuff, I don't know how that's all going to work out for them either. Well, yeah, it's, it, it's up in the air for everyone, yeah. even these schools that have some tradition – with them. But yeah, just how would you feel if you're a UC fan right now with all of this changing? Does it does it take away from some of the excitement of joining the Big 12? Or do you look at it as like, well, hey, without Texas and Oklahoma, it's a little more wide open in football at the top? I, how do you view that? I, I view it as very difficult. And, and it's gotten even more difficult with, with what you've added. Um, you know, and, and obviously, if this thing works out, this Dion experiment works out, you know, does Colorado become a major player at some point, right? I mean, I, I don't it, it buy Colorado a lot tougher. I don't buy Colorado ever working out because either Dion flames out and it just it just doesn't work, or Dion kills it and within two or three years he's gone. I mean he's not staying at Colorado, right? And they're, they're just back to yeah, being probably crap. not. Yeah, maybe. I just can't. But, but I, if he does really well, just, I can't imagine was, being there more than two or three years. See, but but at the end of the day, you still have traded in in this sport the potential sleeping giant of Colorado. I mean, they, they've, they've, they've had success in past years. Um, and you, you laid out the Arizona, Arizona state. So you've traded East Carolina to lane and um, give me another crap school from that league. Uh, you, you've traded them for Temple. these guys. That's that, from yeah. a competition standpoint. That's a hell of a trade up. Well, and just, but I will say from a fan's perspective, it is so much more fun, so much more enjoyable to turn on your TV twice throughout the week during college basketball season and see two high major schools that you recognize like Arizona state and theory. Well, I mean, regardless, even if you lose those games, I'm telling you it is more fun to be playing high major games. than it is like, Oh, let's go turn on the game against ECU. Who's on their roster again. 
I mentioned you just don't you don't care about those teams 90% of the time except for when your team is playing them. Fair enough, but again, I mean, if you're consistently losing to those type of schools, um, that's not going to be fun either. No, I just, I mean, I'm sure UC fans are in the same boat as every other school right now. They don't plan to be the one that's that's losing. And in basketball, I think they have a, a reason to think they can at least be middle of the pack in that conference starting out. But um, it's it's not going to be easy, and it'll be a huge next three or four years for both football and basketball at UC. Because this transitionary period where you kind of stake your claim and say, either we're a competing team in the Big 12 or we're the bottom of the Big 12 is going to make a huge difference in how you recruit over the next four years. Yeah, and, and um, obviously there's there's going to be more realignment to come because those four schools left out, the cold and the Pac-12 have to go somewhere. Um, you know, some of these ACC schools, despite the 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 uh, the land of grant deal rights deal, um, kind of keeping them landlocked, they seem like some of them don't care and they're ready to jump to the SEC, even to the Big Ten. What happens to Notre Dame? I mean, we're not done yet with all this. I think when all is said and done, we still are going to wind up with four mega conferences. But, man, mega is not always best. It's just not. What are what are what do you think Washington State is thinking right now? Up in Pullman, Washington, nothing's around them. No one wants to go there. No one wants to be there. They don't have any fans. Like, what are they thinking in this four group conference that they have right now in the Pac-12? Like, no one's going to ask them to join their conference. Mountain West, here we come. I mean, like maybe that's like a good option for them at this point. I think I could see them getting yes. passed over. Yes. Uh, yeah. I know it's 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 a tough spot. I mean. How much more competitive do you think the the Big Ten will be? Do you think those four teams, USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington, do they make the the top of the conference more competitive? Like, does Oregon become a a power and give Ohio State more trouble at the top of the Big Ten? Well, but then it knocks down the middle ground. You know, what becomes of a Minnesota? What becomes of a Purdue? You know, Wisconsin's kind of been towards the top. Do they get shoved down all of a sudden? And that, that's what I would fear if I'm all these these fan bases of you don't think it's going to be you, but someone's getting knocked out of pick. And hell, it might be these new schools coming in. Hell, maybe Washington's biting off more than it can chew. It might be. And, and like um, Iowa, a team like Iowa, I think, is really in a tough spot. Here. Right. You know, they've kind of just been hanging around. They're, they're never very good, but they can fake their way to a, a two loss record late in the year. And you're like, oh. Iowa's a real contender this year. I guess my question is more, is UC, USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington just more Iowa's and Wisconsin's? Or do you think one of them become like the real rival to Ohio State in the Big Ten? Oh, you at USC for sure. With Lincoln Riley okay. there and 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 what what they are traditional-wise, absolutely. Um, and, and I think Oregon the same way because of the Nike money. I think they could I too. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. And then you have those those two, you have Michigan, you have Ohio State. Now all of a sudden that top four in the the Big Ten with football is pretty damn good and, and pretty fun to watch. So, I mean, there there are some benefits for the casual fan like myself. I mean, I, I don't have a college football team. I don't really care about any conference too much. I am interested to see how some of these new teams shake out. I mean, the SEC with Texas and Oklahoma is going to be interesting. The Big Ten with USC and Oregon is going to be interesting. But uh, there are plenty of issues with it as well. Yep. All right. All right, Skinny. Let's jump to some Ask Skinny Anything. Our first question is, uh, what do you think about Penn separating from Barstool and partnering with ESPN to form ESPN Bet Sportsbooks? Well, I guess good for Dave Portnoy to tell Penn to take its take its game and shove it, right? I mean, um, I, I do think it is interesting. Uh, you know, is, is, is Penn enough to put an ESPN betting, betting platform on the map or people so tied into the DraftKings FanDuel stuff that that that's that's the way most of them go. I'll, I'll be obviously you're going to have to have a, a, an app that's going to make people want to go to it. You're going to have to do some special deals to make people go to it. I, I do find it interesting. I will tell you that much. Yeah, I guess the thing, like ESPN still has a huge brand and it's so easily recognizable to most people, especially people that are let's say over forty. Like guy, you know, a, a guy like my dad who may decide he wants to bet on a few games. I would think ESPN would be the no, most notoriable and the most uh, trustworthy to him if he's going to put his credit card into an app and stuff like that. I I would think ESPN would have a good chance to gain a lot of market share through the plus forty crowd. I don't know the people that are like forty and under that are already betting. I'm not sure that ESPN moves the needle enough anymore to to really steal those people away from DraftKings and FanDuel. Well, I will I will ask you, Rick. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. We're going to be cut you off. I, I will ask you, um, uh, we're going to about to get it in Kentucky where both you and I live. And so we're going to be able to do that. We, I mean, we can do it on our phone in Ohio, but I don't, you know, I don't until the Bengals start. I'm not in Ohio as much, but what, what is your go-to app on your phone that you use right now? Well, I've used DraftKings by far the most. Um, but like the way I've always done it is I kind of, I'll shop for lines on different. So I have like four or five different books that I have a little money in. And then the issue for me became, well, I don't want to keep just putting tons of money into all these different apps. So once I won a bunch of money on DraftKings, I had a big bankroll in there from a couple football seasons ago that I still haven't depleted. So it's kind of been, that's been my de facto one because I have the most money in it. So I tend to tend to stick with the one that has the biggest bankroll in it at a given time because I'm too lazy to like fill them all up and really, really be a shark in terms of shopping for lines. But, but I, but I, I'm going to, I'm willing to bet like to to your point, I would say the, the, the younger demographic who is betting currently on an app is probably a FanDuel DraftKings guy, right? Or gal. Yeah. Yeah. They are the two most popular from what I understand. Yes. And so, I mean, will you, will you test market ESPN? Maybe they're going to have to come at you with some really good bonuses to hook you initially. But if they don't, if they just say, Hey, we're ESPN, we're just going to put this up and you're going to flock to it. Fans are going to go, no, I've got my, my, I'm fine with FanDuel and DraftKings is it. I'm, I'm good. Thanks. Yeah. And well, and that's the thing. I think a lot of this deal with partnering with ESPN is the idea that everyone's customer acquisition process right now is just give away a ton of money offer these bets where hey you spend one dollar and if the team scores you get a hundred dollars right well that's just spending a ton and ton of money to advertise essentially is what that is so all of these well it isn't it isn't isn't, isn't, yeah but because you can't pull that money out right away you got to roll it back over so i mean that that's what they're counting on even if you win it you're going to roll it back into losses anyway it's not everybody but i mean the bass but yeah but but they have some other deals too, where it's where it's not even necessarily that. And I mean, they do just give straight up giveaways a lot of times for money that they lose tens of millions of dollars on some of these little promotions that they do intentionally. It's a it's a, a marketing budget for them. But the the thing sure. is, is most of them have taken that approach of we're just going to spend, spend, spend. We're not trying to be profitable. We just want to get all the customers until you guys die out because you can't match our marketing spend and you go away, and then we'll be the only one left because we have the most customers. I think the idea from from Penn right now is because this is what they did with Barstool. They said, we're not going to just do promotions nonstop. We're going to hire Barstool as our marketing arm because they have all these fans and they'll bring in customers for us without us having to give a bunch of money away. And we'll have a more sustainable model long term. I think they're just taking that to the next level with ESPN, thinking ESPN is so big and so recognizable. They will bring in the customers and we won't have to just spend endlessly on marketing. I don't know if that's going to work, to your point. I think they will need all the promotions that everyone else are doing are the same, same way. And, and I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I, the first gambling app I had was the Barstool app because um, it was tied to Hollywood casino over in Lawrenceburg. And then Barstool became the, 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 uh, the sports book there. And honestly, I didn't like the app. And so I, I hardly used good. the, I put some money in it initially. Didn't like, didn't like the, the, the app itself. Uh, I literally got to the point where I didn't use the app at all anymore and would go into the, to the book itself. Agreed. All of the apps could be improved, quite honestly. None of them, to me, have like figured it out and gotten it great. But I do think DraftKings or FanDuel is probably the cleanest, smoothest, easiest experience. That makes I, the most a, sense. Yeah, I, I the only one I've got money in at the moment because I still I'm 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 kind of old school um, and I don't do much in baseball season anyway um, of going into the book to make a play. But the one I use because I, I, I like the app is Bet three sixty five, and it's honestly it's because I won some money on there when they had an initial promotion. I kind of left some of my winnings in there, but I also like the app itself. I think it's really easy to use. And I think that's the other part. I think that is a key to it. I mean, you better have an app that people like. And I just didn't like the Barstool app. Yeah, no, I agree. I, same way with me on Barstool. I really didn't use it hardly at all because simply because the app just wasn't nearly as good as the the other two that I use more frequently. But I have not tried Bet365, so I think I will do that this upcoming football season when they offer their promos. No no free ads, Bet365, but if you want to jump in here, we've got some exactly, ad yeah. space available for you. We, um yeah, uh, Skinny, what's the most iconic magazine cover you can remember? <laughs> I'll be honest, and maybe it hits home. The, the Sports Illustrated Kentucky Shame. <laughs> oh, yeah. When they went on probation. Yeah, that's that's a tough one for UK fans. Yeah. I can picture that right now yeah, as soon I mean, as you I, say I, that. That's a good one. 
I have, I, I kept some, I kept uh, a handful. I probably got hmm, 40 sports illustrators. I kept over the years. Um, obviously the swimsuit editions I, I kept over the years. I guess I can label some of those as iconic, but yeah, that, that, that's the one for me. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing somebody's obvious answer to that, but that was a pretty iconic one for me. Yeah. I, you know, obviously people send these questions in, so I get a chance to read them as I'm compiling before the show. You don't get to see them or think of these at all. And as soon as I read this one, I thought of a couple for me, like my childhood or teenage years, whatever, but I didn't, I had the same thought you did of like, I feel like I'm probably missing some obvious ones that people would be like screaming in their cars at us as they're listening to this. They never came to me. Um, the two that I did think of though, that I, I always remember right away were, uh, well, Chad Johnson actually had two of them for me. Chad Johnson had the, uh, sport, the sports illustrated one where it said trick or treat. And he had the gold Mohawk and he had the, the Bengals. I remember arm, that one. Like yep. The whole arm was a Bengal sleeve. Um, that for whatever reason, just always stood out to me. And, um, the other one he had was the ESPN issue where he was butt naked and he just had his book covering like his junk and said like the Chad Johnson where that, the that book was. The, was. Yeah, that wasn't the body issue, right? No, it wasn't the body issue. It was literally they, an issue about like he was the yeah. cover story okay. and he had just come out with a book and it said like the Chad Johnson way or something like that. Is and he's butt naked with okay, just I don't a book covering that. his uh, private parts. And the the other one that I that thought of, like, um, yeah, the other guy that that was one of my guys growing up and I just loved, but this was a, a tough moment in my opinion for his career was the Ricky Williams ESPN in the wedding dress at the altar with Mike Ditka after he traded his entire draft to get him. Yes. Yeah. I remember that. Remember that? that was a weird. Yeah, I do. It's like, why would this weird. rookie coming out of college who's already kind of known as a little bit of a weirdo agree? Like why would his agent agree to let him do this photo shoot where he's like cross dressing and it's, it's just a weird thing. And the more you got to know of Ricky Williams, that's kind of on brand for his his a little bit weirdness, correct? It, it turned out, I'm guessing, he just did it without even telling the agent or something because I, I think he kind of just yeah, did whatever he yeah, wanted. exactly, maybe. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know where to go with this one. What are your guys' thoughts on men wearing team-branded polos? Team-branded polos? Yeah, so I assume like, this is just like the, the average dad wearing like the reds or – or UK well, on, you know, on I got a my high school shirt. rivals. I got my high school rivals shirt on there. That, that's so it. It, it. I've got exactly a, uh, that. But if what would you wear that? If that was, I mean, you probably wouldn't cause you cover them journalistically, but like, do you think it's weird when adults wear a shirt like that with their team on it? No, uh, no, I, I, that, that look doesn't bother me. I know. I know what you're saying. Yeah. Cause I've, I've seen some people at camp with the Bengals, the nice Bengals block B logo on it. Yeah. I, those look sharp to me. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I guess that doesn't bother me I, I, at the Reds game the other night, you know, see a bunch of people with Reds polos on. That doesn't bother me. Like it bothers me that they're wearing jerseys, I guess. Maybe, maybe is that, is that critical or, or no? I, no, I, cause I think it's weirder to be like a, a grown man and just wearing someone else, like a 28 year old's Jersey or a 24 year old's Jersey. jersey. Yeah, I okay. mean, like it's, it's weird to be like, I'm, I'm 36. Now I'm going to go wear this 24 year old guy's Jersey. And I don't know to me that it's, it's fine. I don't care if people do it, but I just personally think it's a little strange for me to do the polo thing. I yes. don't think is, is weird, but personally, I don't, I don't think I would ever wear a professional teams. It's different from like the college team makes more sense to me than the, like I would wear an NKU polo around. I think I don't think I would sure. ever wear a reds sure. or a Bengals polo around. And maybe that's just because the colors of them. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, obviously I, I wear a lot of either golf shirts, polo shirts, whatever you want to call them and three quarter zips for teams I coach. So I've got a lot of logoed stuff for that, but I've, I've got an NKU logo golf shirt that my daughter got me back when she was playing. So when she was playing in matches, I'd wear that in support of her. Um, I've got a couple of Kentucky branded. Uh, I got a pullover and a, and a, and a polo both with, with that on it. So yeah, I, I don't have a problem with that. I'm, I, I'm, I'll be honest with you. Kentucky has tons of good, like dress, dressier clothes, polos, Hawaiian shirts, like, Kentucky fans always wear tons of like dressy yes. apparel stuff when they go out for lack of a better term. And um, I, yeah, I, that never bothers me. I don't think guys look weird in that. I say, a friend of mine who used to be uh, one of UC's equipment managers got me some UC garbs. I got two really nice UC polos. I don't wear them all the time, but the, those are nice branded, branded polos. So yeah, I, I, I don't have a problem with that. 
Yeah, you got to get a, a BSN sportswear and get your Big 12 patch and your Jordan patch stitched on to that now. That's how they're doing it. Uh, <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> does Skinny have any funny autocorrect incidents? Um, I do all the time. I, I mean, there's nothing specific, but I'm a big um, – about in the last two years, I'm a big talk-to-text guy. Like, I'll do that when I'm driving, <laughs> and I'll, I'll say – it'll say – would you, do you want me to send? And I'll send and I'll look back and go, oh, my God, I can't even make out what the hell that was. Um, <laughs> uh, um, it's funny. So you, sometimes you would think that the that the autocorrect or the Siri in this case <clears throat> would get to know what you're saying. The one for me all the time is uh, I'll text my boss and say, hey, I'm done with the burrow story. It always spells burrow, B-U-R-R-O-U-G-H. And I thought, and I always go back and correct it because he knows what I'm saying, but I, I see that's an easy correct to do, um, you know, manually. But I'm thinking, I've said that enough times to you that you'd think you'd get the name by now. And maybe if I said Joe Burrow, they would spell it correctly. I don't know. But boy, well, some of those, like, sometimes on, when you look at them. Yeah, no, I, I don't know if you do it. But sometimes when you look at some of the ones you say, you're like, what did that even mean, man? I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's pretty good. I don't think I really have any of the uh, auto-correct stuff that, that I can recall. But do you remember back in the day when, before we had threaded text, meaning uh, each text was a new, fully new message, even if it was from the same person. Right. Like you could have 100 messages yep. from the same person in a row and it filled up your entire inbox. Yes. It wasn't like you clicked on the person's name and there was a whole list of messages in there. So going back to that era, you had to then say who you were sending each text to. Right. You can just click on their name and then go into that message. And I had a terrible problem for a while with when I was thinking about someone or talking about them, like saying sometimes something bad about them. I would then click on their name and send it to them. I did this with a oh girl. I was, yeah, I did this with a girl I was talking to in high school where I was trying to say something about her to a, another friend. And uh, it was like kind of derogatory. And I sent it directly to her. And then there was a one with one of my good friends where he was annoying the hell out of me. And one of my buddies was like, hey, where are you at? And I was like, sorry, I'm ready to beat so-and-so's ass. He's whatever. And I sent it to so-and-so whose ass I was ready to beat. And he like looked at his phone and was like, oh, really? <laughs> I was like, sorry, man. Being a real pain in the ass today. When, when I worked when I worked at the Cincinnati slash Kentucky Post, um, we had um, instant messenger between all of our uh, computer terminals in the office. This is from, yeah. I worked there from 91 to 2003. And so there was one night we're in there. It was a busy night. And, and one of our reporters who liked to talk a lot and kind of grated on our nerves was speaking. And I simply said, I wish she would shut the blank up. And I hit the button thinking I was sending it to all people, Tom Gamble, because he was in the office that night. And I looked over to him because I thought he'd look at me and I kept looking and I go, did you get that? And all of a sudden I hear this voice go, no, but I did. And I went, oh, I sent it to her. Oh, no. <laughs> but then she shut up. So I got the point hey. worked. Yeah, sometimes just being direct is the best way. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's great. All right, Skitty. If you could ask your dog one question and get a response, what would it be? This last one. Well, that's a great one. That's a great one. Do you know I love you? Honestly. I, there's no chance in hell the dog doesn't think you love him. Dogs don't know anything but love. I, no, that's a good point. Um, Maybe it's... Because she again, I, I've said this before. She's she's battling cancer right now. Is I, I'd like to ask her how do you really feel? She's been actually yeah. pretty good. She's been good spirit. She's eating good and all that stuff. But I I'd literally like to ask how do you how do you feel and how can I help? And you, that's the helpless feeling is you just don't know. And again, she's doing okay. She's sleeping fine. She's acting fine. She doesn't. It's funny. She's gotten to the point though where she won't let me leave her sight. Like she's got to be in the same room with me. Or if I even if I go to the bathroom, I'll come out of the bathroom and she's like literally sitting by the door, which she's never done before. So it does make yeah. me wonder. Uh, that is a great question. I, I think you're right to your point. I, they, they do love you. I mean, that's the most unconditional love there ever is going to be in life. Um, but I, I sometimes I just want to know, do you know that I love you? That's the point. Yeah, I think, I think I'd be along the same lines as you. Like our dog tore her, her like dog ACL basically a few years ago and we yep. didn't get it fixed. We opted not to have the surgery. We kind of just let her heal over time, but she still limps around yep. on it. And like, I'll take her to play at the park and she'll run around and stuff. And then afterwards she'll be, can't hardly walk it up and stuff. She's limping all around. And it's like, I'd love to just know, like she doesn't complain about, it, she doesn't whine or anything. There's just that limp. It's like, is this 
killing you? Like, should we have fixed it? Or is it, are you okay? That would probably be my question. If not that, then it would be like, which is your favorite treat? Just be honest with you. What, what one do you like the most? I'll, I'll hook you up. Oh, I, I know for ours, it's it's the little tiny milk bones, man. It's like crack cocaine for her, man. She <laughs> she knows if she like even gets her top knot done, she's literally sniffing at the thing going, I get one of these. I know I get one of these. Yeah, okay, you get one of these. Yeah, she's to the point where if like you rub, if like you just rub the box a little bit, make just a little bit of a sound, she's yes. running into see, that's how hard. Yes, it's like she hears cardboard being touched. She's coming into the kitchen. It's it's that, and and, and at night when I make myself a a, a cocktail and and get ice from the ice machine, uh, she loves crushed ice. So she knows the second I get up and get literally get the cup out, she's standing there waiting for the ice machine to go. No one here comes a few pieces of little crushed ice for. They're the best. That's all I got. All right, good stuff. Thanks for the questions as always. We will be back next week. Bengals will have a preseason game under their belt. Looking towards preseason game number two. Hopefully the Reds get back on track and we're inching closer to the start of college football. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly poetry edition presented by Blake the Attorney Mason.